What's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Cameron Guerra. Will, I'm going to say this is the longest Monday to Wednesday stretch of the year. Right before the NCAA tournament, you're just waiting on that Thursday action. It's weird because college football, the, the time that you have during the week, it flies. It absolutely mm-hmm. flies. Like Monday through Friday, in college football season is so quick, but the NCAA tournament that Monday through Wednesday is way longer than any fall Monday through Friday. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why. Yeah, I, no. And, and, and like, that's the thing too. It's like, I've told you before that like, I don't really do brackets. Like I root for chaos all the time. And so like, this is just get your popcorn. You know, this is the Laden Kiffin season. It's get your popcorn, get ready, start previewing the matchups for a lot of people. They're obsessing about, you know, who they picked. And like I said, more power to you just for me, I'm too competitive and I start rooting for my picks too hard. But like right now I'm just like, Hey, I'm trying to anticipate chaos. I'm looking around. I'm like, Who's, you know, checking the social media feeds, kind of like, you know, when you're at a horse race, you're trying to see who's who's getting ready, who looks like they got that dog in them. I'm like, you know, which teams are looking kind of soft in their stories? Who's looking like they might, you know, be on upset? <laughs> Future lad of the week will be the upset, the, the team who pulls off the upset kid who hits the, the buzzer beater shot. We're going to find out that like he lost both parents when he was four or something like mm-hmm. that. That will be a future lad of the week. There is a guarantee of that. Absolutely. For sure. Um, plan for today. Brad Crawford going to join us in a little bit. We're going to dig into Spencer Rattler, a little bit of Clemson. We're going to talk about some, even talk a little bit about some realignment things as well that Brad is very dialed in on. Uh, Adam Spencer is going to come on. Of course, we're going to talk all things brackets. We're going to talk about the SEC draws, he's going to offer up his expertise with a little bit of bold and brash ahead of the NCAA tournament. But first, I don't know how many people have been paying attention to this, but this has been something I've been sitting on for a few weeks. I think the Pac-12 and what it's become, I think it's the newspaper business. I'm going to get there in a minute here. I promise. Okay. One of the craziest off-season storylines has been the Pac-12 and it struggles to land a new TV contract. If you haven't been following this, or you're just thinking to yourself, Connor, why do I care about this? The Pac-12 isn't relevant. Is this just off-season content? No, this actually impacts the entire landscape of college football, in my opinion. And it's just really interesting of the what not to do for a conference in the 21st century and how you can self-sabotage. Last playoff berth for the Pac-12 was 2016. Last national title was led by Matt Leinart, 2004. Relevance here. All right, we get it. By the way, Matt Leinart, turning 40 in a couple months. He's got a kid in high school. Stop. What? Like, get out of here. I, And I know he had a kid when he, when he was young, but Matt Leinart's turning 40? Come on. I yeah. I did no. like a Pete Carroll introspective. And I don't think, not to like do this whole thing, but I don't think there's been a guy who's had more fun with as a coach than him and when you look at back at those rosters of those teams brother they're even better than you remember like with like the talent those guys played with i wish i would have been older to really process what i was watching when it was happening because man those are one and i'm sure you'd agree like those teams kind of helped me fall in love with football and they're even more fun than i thought when you look back honestly they were and uh matt liner was i mean for for a solid like three four years is he and reggie bush as big of household names as there were in, in college football and obviously a lot has changed since then for usc for the pac-12 specifically so i know some people might be thinking like why do i give a rat's behind about pac-12 media rights it is a perfect a perfect embodiment of our adapt or die mantra 
We know mm-hmm. what side the Pac-12 is on. We know. <laughs> yep. They're dying. All right. They, they, they ain't adapting, at least not in the way that they should be. And to be clear, so much of this current situation, which I'm going to dig into in a second, byproduct of decisions that were made more than a decade ago, wherein the Pac-12 failed to adapt. They wanted to own all of their own network and have paid dearly for their lack of distribution. You could point to direct TV issues. It just comes down to distribution. The Big Ten saw the advantage in having Fox owning the majority of the Big Ten network while ESPN owns SEC network. The Big Ten and the SEC got distribution. They drove up their rights and thus they became the power to while the Pac-12 network has areas within the Pac-12 footprint in which they cannot get the Pac-12 network because it's only available through a handful of providers. But this you is... can get it on your refrigerator. Wait, wait, say what? So they have what's called <laughs> they have what's called an OTT service, which means that it's free on apps and stuff. And one of the few channels I can get on my Samsung smart fridge is the Pac-12 network. And it's become one of these funny jokes like on Twitter about like, well, at least you can get it on your refrigerator. I did not know that. Okay, so how many instances have you sat watching your refrigerator TV for more than... Oh, 45 seconds. Not many, even as a person who stares at the refrigerator more than the average bear. I mean, look, <laughs> if that's you, if that's your thing, and that's how you want to watch your college football, I won't shame. Don't knock it until you've tried it. I've never tried watching college football on my refrigerator. Didn't think that was the sentence we were going to say today, but oh, well, here we are. That's the state of things in the Pac-12. This is one of the reasons, though, why Larry Scott was just skewered, and he is at the root of all the Pac-12's current issues, which George Klyakov, he was left to inherit those issues. So if you saw this from the New York Post, this this entire story kind of hinges on the the struggles, the very well-documented struggles that the Pac-12 has had with trying to get that new media contract. Pac-12, it just continues to strike out. And strikeout might seem harsh, but the SEC has ESPN. The Big Ten has Fox, CBS, and NBC. People forget about that. The Big 12 has ESPN and Fox, and the ACC has ESPN. Pac-12 needs to get a deal done like yesterday because their Mm -hmm. current deal with Fox and ESPN, it runs through next season, and then they're left out in the cold. But the fact that Apple TV is one of the bidders is not a good sign. It is not a good sign at all. The structure of the deal, which the post outlined, would be similar to what like the MLS has with Apple. Uh, they, they have like a, a 10-year, $2.5 million deal with MLS, $99 for subscribers. That's bad. That's bad if we're just talking about a conference. It's one thing if it's an entire league, and that's what you have to go to to get this form of entertainment. You can kind of flip around within that league. But if that's mm-hmm. a totally separate entity, that is really, really bad. Chris Vanini wrote a great story about this for The Athletic. Streaming isn't saving TV. And to think that it'll suddenly gain more distribution for the Pac-12 is just so unbelievably unlikely. That's not going to happen. It's one thing to have that be a part of your media package, like what the NFL has with Thursday night, Amazon Prime. You know, that a lot of people kind of push back on that. And then it's like, all right, well, it's not like we're we're being forced to only watch Amazon Prime in order to watch any sort of live action in the NFL. That's not the case. It's a branch of this. And also the NFL is king and they can kind of do whatever they want. But there's mm-hmm. there's a reason why nobody wants to have exclusive rights with a streaming service it's all about Mm -hmm. eyeballs that like that that's what we know to be the case fewer eyeballs hurts everything in every form of media if you have less eyeballs bad simple way 
Let me interject really quick here. I'm trying to think about how to handle this because this is almost potentially a conflict of interest. So I probably just need to get ahead of it. So I work in television. Um, I'm not going to disclose too much more about that. Um, but the big thing that I want to say that a lot of people don't understand <clears throat> is that, okay, so you have what's called OTT or terrestrial, or sorry, OTA or terrestrial TV stations, right? So that's your big like three letter uh, TV stations, right? So that's Fox, CBS, um, ABC, NBC. Um, and those can be picked up on rabbit ears. Okay. Yes. And so basically, if you think as a college football fan, <clears throat> oh, well, we got to have an ESPN deal because everybody has ESPN. It's actually not technically true. And that's why the Big Ten deal was so massive and so smart. And I, I hate to credit the Big Ten, but that was such a big deal because they split it up basically between your terrestrial networks. So just to explain why, you don't need to pay for cable to pick up the major networks. OK, so that's why that ESPN game, you know, the, the primetime game will often get flexed to ABC, because if you're at your grandma's house, she gets ABC, even if she doesn't have ESPN. And so all of these conferences are vying for a very few amount of terrestrial spots. OK, and if you're in a situation like the Big 12, you're going to see it as, OK, well, we over Big 12, Big 12, you're Big 12. You're you basically are going to say, hey, we'll kind of almost piggyback on the SEC's deal. Because all of those terrestrial spots are taken. We really can't go to Fox. We really can't go to CBS. We really can't go to even NBC, which who knows what they're doing at this point. But we don't, we would rather have access to streaming and potentially get a game or two on ABC uh, if that happens, then try to fight for our lives out there. Now, the reason why this is so bad for the Pac 12, everybody else's hay is kind of in the barn. All like the Big Ten, the the Big Ten deal kind of messed up everything, right? Because it was just as this bubble, I think, is starting to burst. You guys see kind of what the reports are for the economy and everything. I don't think another deal like that's getting signed, but it locked up all of these premier slots and left everybody else to fight for them. So the SEC now, obviously, is the premier conference in college football. No one's turning them down either. So whoever is not locked up from the Big Ten, they're now fighting for the SEC and saying, and that deal's already done, I know, but now everyone moves on and then moves on. But all these spots are spoken for. And so to bring it all the way around, that's why the Apple TV thing is bad because Apple TV's subscriber base is so much smaller than ESPN's. They obviously don't have a cable channel. So if you have three options, right? You have terrestrial, you have cable, and you have like a streaming service or an OTT, like I was just talking about. That third tier is easily the worst because there are fewer, you have to pay for it. There's a paywall and there are fewer subscribers overall. And so that's why the Apple TV thing is truly bad. It's not just, oh, well, it's on Apple TV. <laughs> it's like, well, you're missing all these other revenue, all these other avenues of revenue, because like you said, they got greedy with the Pac-12 network, which ended up being a dud anyway. And think about even so from the base, like, let's say you're, you know, YouTube TV, let's see, let's say you're a cable subscriber, something like that. The biggest frustration that people have with Amazon Prime and watching it on Thursday Night Football is that they can't flip around and watch other things. You exactly. are locked into that thing. And you have to open a, a you know, a, di a different app, a third party mm -hmm. app to be able to, to have this. And we in college football fans are like, you got to be able to watch different games and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm coming at this from a different perspective. And if you want to watch your team, obviously you're going to do what it takes to be able to watch your team, but mm -hmm. it kind of forces you into, are you a diehard or are you a casual? And bringing up Thursday night football is such a great freaking point, man, because you got to think that's the best case scenario. That's the NFL 
on a street, a platform that we all have, we all have Amazon, you know what I'm saying? To get stuff shipped to our house, you know? And so it, yeah. Okay. You know, Apple TV is a whole separate thing. So when you take the premier product and put it on the premier streaming service, we still hated it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, and I think that there's, there's definitely still a market for it on the NFL side, but think mm-hmm. about it within the confines of a college football Saturday. And exactly. And, and if, and if you're betting or something like that, and just be having to be locked into that one specific thing and how likely are you to then watch other teams? If that's the one thing that you're going to be dialed into, it just, it, it hurts in a way that is really significant. I, I think it, it obviously that the eyeballs are, are a major, major issue. Like I, I think we take for granted the convenience of being able to watch anything that we want on a college football Saturday, because if you have some sort of access to ESPN, you can stream ESPN three, you can watch, mm-hmm. you can do watch ESPN app or something. You can Chromecast it, like whatever you can do. You can find a way, like even if you have sec alternate, like sec network alternate, you can find a way to stream that probably, or you can probably find it somewhere else on your cable package. Like that is that's there for you. And what, let's say one more thing really quick, because it used to be a TV deal, right? And it's still, you know, we all call it a TV media deal, rights right? now. Yeah. Media rights. Exactly. Media rights. Because, okay, we've seen this with March Madness with True TV, right? You are signing up for a family now. You're signing up for the Turner family, for instance, where you have, you know, TNT, TBS, all that stuff. And 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 now these network conglomerates, which are getting bigger, right? They're not less of them. They're more with all these mergers with Warner and all this different stuff. But basically that the layman's addition is it's not just, oh, you have an ESPN deal. Your games are on ESPN. It's let's say you have a Turner deal. You're signing up for the Turner family. Let's say you have an ESPN deal. You're signing up for the ABC family. And so that is again, why the PAC 12 deal is horrible because there is no Apple family. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> not like it's just bundled with, with something like that. And you're like, oh, it is a, a significant one-off in a way that we really have not seen with major college football. Um, what Chris also outlined in in the, in the column for the Athletic was streaming services are actually losing money right now. Yep, Disney lost more than four billion dollars in 2022. Peacock lost 2.5 billion dollars. Paramount just lost 1.8 billion dollars. They're hoping for profitability in the next two years. Obviously, it's not like this is just guaranteed to continue that way. But do they have an actual path to that? I I, I don't know. Like that's that's anyone's guess, and they're they're they're. Trying to roll the dice, and, and that's just a massive unknown with the way that this plays out compared to you know cable networks, who you know like they've dealt with cord cutting, but also mm-hmm. the reality that live sports are still the premier thing to offer, and that is such a bonus with those cable networks. It's why Tom Brady is able to negotiate a deal that'll pay him thirty-seven million dollars a year to broadcast for the first time in his career. That's mm-hmm. The, the money that's associated with this is a totally different ballgame. The challenge is that because live sports are so exclusive, it doesn't mean that everyone has a desirable product or that every network wants in on the action, especially with streaming. Mm-hmm. Like Netflix, tell me tell me about the, the live sports you're watching on Netflix. <laughs> no. No. They're like, yeah, you know what? That's now they're broke, they're- so they ain't getting any. Right. Yeah. They're trying to <laughs> do the subscription thing that they're really trying to crack down on that, which we've heard that before. I'm sure, you know, we'll hear it again from them, but the PAC 12 needed this to be a bidding war. And that's the point that you brought up before and why the big 10 had such great leverage in the way that it went about this 
And it didn't have a bidding war at such a critical juncture. And this is instead turning into a last person at the bar scenario. That's what we're looking like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, sometimes in life, all it takes is one. I say that all the time. Sometimes it's just all you need. You need that one job offer, something like that. Back when I was applying for jobs, when you know, coming out of college, and I applied for dozens and dozens of jobs. I think I applied for 58 jobs, and I got two job offers. One was in Yuma, Arizona. One was in Kearney, Nebraska. I just kept telling myself every single day that I was sending out resumes, hey, all it takes is one. All it takes is one. Just get my foot in the door. This ain't that. This is not that, man. It's not. In the case of TV rights, it is just so different. If all you have is a couple of potential bidder, bidders on your rights, you're you're just toast in this day and age. It's why in so many ways, the Pac-12, I said I was getting it back to this and I did. It is like the newspaper business or at least what it's become. Both are doing whatever they can to try and somehow stay afloat. Keep Oregon, keep Washington. Lose USC, lose UCLA, keep the Sunday edition, keep the regional editor, lose the copy desk, lose the back page. Pac-12 potentially going to a streaming service is like when newspapers went to online only. Because mm -hmm. if you just heard that in passing without really knowing the industry, you might think, oh, they're adapting. They're not dying. This is modern. This is what you're doing. It's not adapting. It's dying. It really is. There are no wholesale changes that are suddenly going to swing things in favor of the Pac-12 or newspapers. Decisions that were made more than a decade ago have led to their decline, and now they look like they're about to die. The newspaper industry as a whole still has great elements to it, as does the Pac-12, okay? I'm not sitting here like Bill Walton saying, mostly Bill Walton. That was about to say, yeah. they're, okay, on the pros, on the assets side, pretty much Bill Walton and... Oregon and Washington. All oh, the cons, buddy. Yeah, shout out Dave Pash, by the way. Who's Dave, Dave no, Pash? Dave Pash. As well. I love Dave Pash. No, my bad. It's the conference of champions. That's my he's just Walton. so uniquely Pac-12. Like Dave Pash could do anything, and he does. Like that's the thing. Yeah, Bill Walton. Uh, about it. That's th those are your assets right there. Like that. That's pretty much what this has come down to. Um, and look, there are there are still plenty of of talented programs. I think that we could look at within the U.S., like within the not just not USC, but within the Pac-12 that we could break down and say, oh, well, this this place is this and this place is this like that's still there. OK, that's nobody's denying that. I mean, Stanford swimming juggernaut, absolute juggernaut. OK, we want to go down that road. Look, this may or may not have, but definitely did pick a Well, I guess that's UCLA. I picked the Pac-12 team to win it all. Um, but there are <laughs> plenty of power programs within the Pac-12 footprint, but that's just, that that's not the most important thing. And just like how I think there are a lot of great people in newspapers, it just does not come down to that. Just like with USC and UCLA leaving strictly because of the obvious dollars and cents, there are so many great writers who have accepted buyouts or been laid off mm -hmm. and then gotten out of the business entirely. Two of my- uh, Right there, let me. I'm sorry. What were you about to say? I just cut you off. No, go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I sorry. All this was like swirling in my head. So I think you are completely hitting this on the head. I just want to talk quickly about the concept of water cooler television, right? And you know, when we were growing up, you know, we all watched the same shows. We all watched the same premieres. We there was no TiVo when we were growing up. So when you go to school, you'd be talking about the shows, you know, and that continued into kind of like the mid 2000s. Um, even, even kind of like the early streaming period, but now to your point, this stuff is so valuable because all right, you listener right now that's listening to this, think about the last time our society felt like we were all in on something together that wasn't sports. Okay. Just like you grew up reading your local sports columnist. Okay. As did I in Louisiana, 
that is now gone. It used to be a time when that sports column would hit and everybody would run and go grab it and leaf through it. And, you know, players would be calling newspapers and saying, I can't believe you printed this. This is, yep. sl- lan- this is slander. This is liable. Da, da, da. Okay. Just like, you know, lost, just like all these TV events that used to be. Okay. Now all of that is going away because journalism is decentralized. You have all these methods like, you know, aggregation, the athletic to where it's hard. You know, we talked about the pieces that you got to see. It's the Bill Connolly one. It's the Sando one. Uh, SDS will do a series, you know, about every year. Or so that's like, this is our big series this year that everybody reads, but you know, it as a writer, it's like a free for all right now because everyone has a voice and television is the same way. So I think that's a great, that's a great thing because I think I think it goes to the streaming thing as well, because everyone sees sports as this gold mine. But exactly what you said, man, all of these streaming services are spending made up dollars. They're spending. They've never been profitable. Netflix has completely gone over the hump of when they could be profitable. And they're promising investors for 15 years. We're going to be profitable. We're going to be profitable. But they just kept having to spend money to make money. So you look around at these different streaming services that are now in the game that are all losing money and they're moving up the the bottom line with these tv networks that employ people and have been solvent and so now we have this big bubble which like i said the big 10 got in on but now the pac-12 is completely left out in the rain so i just wanted to like contextualize that but i think you're a hundred percent on the money yeah it's the way that we consume media has has changed and if you mm-hmm. were at the forefront of seeing how that was done and the best ways to be able to capitalize on that, you were better off for it. And if you didn't, you're kind of left wondering, man, I missed out. I missed out. And like, it, it's not even a matter of whether or not you're really good or you're offering a, a really good product. It's it's just, it, there's so much, there's so many more elements to it. And that's how I feel with, with journalism in general. Like some of my favorite writers ever, I mean, like, Teddy Greenstein, who I had on the show last year, and that was like a, a thrill for me, somebody that, that I read growing up, like, Somebody that got out of the newspaper, even though he spent what like 20 years at the Chicago Tribune. Mm-hmm. Lee Jenkins, who was so good mm-hmm. at Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated. Like, if you read Sports Illustrated in the 2010s, you read Lee Jenkins. That like yes. he was must read every single time. And then he left to go work for the Clippers. And he's like the, his title is executive director of research and identity. <laughs> Pretty cool title. That that, that just says yeah. LinkedIn written all over it right there. Um, but like he even said in his in his tweet, he's like, yeah, you know, don't know when I'm I'm gonna be able to write again. I, I mean, he was, and that, in my opinion, best sports magazine writer of the 2010s. Wright Thompson, I guess, like is is I don't really consider Wright Thompson like sports magazine because he does both a little bit more so. But Lee Jenkins was, you get a copy of whatever you know, Sports Illustrated, and you read that thing because he's mm-hmm. that good. Dirk Shadowing, Omaha World Herald, just announced a month ago that he's leaving the business. 20 years at the World Herald, only job he's ever had. He went to Nebraska. He spent a lot of time in that state. He knows it inside and out. And I always, when I was in Nebraska, would think to myself, like, if I could write half as good as this guy one day, one day, I'll have made it. And in a normal world, and what people on the outside would look at with some of this stuff, you would think, okay, find find a spot for these people. These people are really, really good. Mm -hmm. There should be a place for people who are unbelievably good at what they do. And if you're a program in college football who moves the needle, there should be a place for you. It just doesn't mean that it's in your current situation. The newspaper business is not a normal world. It's Mm -hmm. the business that's grasping for straws, just trying to find any sort of life raft or object at sea that it can possibly grab onto that stops it from drowning. 
And, and that's, you just made a good point too. Think about this generation of sports writers that raised us. And now it seems like it's very common for people in your age group and a little bit older to be giving these same sports writers jobs. You look at the guys like Lebetard with Greg Cody, right? You look at that exact same situation with the Clippers where it's like, uh, this guy deserves to make money. This guy deserves to not go out sad in a way. And, and it's so sad because it's like the master splinter meme with the Ninja Turtles where it's like, oh, you raised me. Now I'm going to pick you up. But that generation, the ones that are still able to write is a lot of the time because of the good faith of someone who is doing it, the non-conventional way, like a Lebetard, like you talked about, um, like a right Thompson, these guys who are able to do these uh, niche stories that we need so much and, and the emotions that these people make us feel the way that Sports Illustrated used to make us feel. And then the other side, you know, if, if you're another example is Rossello, he always brings a lot of those guys back. And he he's a non-traditional guy who always says, you know, pay respects to your elders. But the other side of it is if you want to have that type of career today, you look at Mina Kimes, you got to be on air. You can't just write anymore. Yeah, you have to. You, you absolutely have to. And like the people who who get out of the business, it's like it's it's nothing that's within their control. Like Lee Jenkins, it wasn't like, ah, you know what? Like this column just didn't work out really. And, and you know, that's why, that's why I'm getting out. It's the, the mm -hmm. state of journalism, the decisions that have been made by Sports Illustrated uh, that leads people to say like, you know, when you see all your friends getting laid off left and right, it's just only a matter of time before you can be in, in a similar spot. And it's nothing related to, to what you've done. And that's the the frustrating thing and like the the outside of the the control thing that, that people hate. And like within the Pac-12 right now, there are so many elements that, look, if you've done your job and you've done this, this and this, you think, all right, we're set up for long term success. But there's this this underlying issue right now with the conference as a whole that is impacting everything that it does like online advertising dollars weren't nearly what they were in print so like back a little little history lesson on on newspapers for those who don't like fully understand this this element so like those who pivoted to to, to just online they usually did a bit too late and even if they got mm -hmm. decent enough traffic, it was still being accessed for free with like any sort of decent internet connection. So you're getting information for free and you're like, why would I want to pay for this? And then there was the pivot to get subscribers to be able to pay for journalism, which I, you know, I support. I think there's a lot of merit to that, but getting online subscriptions is a challenge and getting enough of them to actually continue to drive advertising dollars is tricky as well. Internet access just changed our, our, our way that we consume information and newspapers, yep. they, they might've just always been in a spot where it was inevitable the hits that they were going to take it probably didn't help that there are sites like ours at Saturday on south like we we sprouted our founders did a great job of spending in the right places to grow back when we launched in 2010 and we mm -hmm. have found a sustainable model that doesn't have nearly the overhead that they do but decisions that have been made a decade ago can impact the next half century that is true in so many areas of life. And I believe that'll be the case with the Pac-12 because it feels like we're about to have another, and maybe we're still in our current you know, door of realignment that's open. I guess you could say that that's part of it. Texas and Oklahoma kind of reopened that door. Obviously, USC, UCLA, part of that window. And now there's probably going to be more who are going to follow in this window. If this new media deal has... Big 10 or SEC teams making three times as much money annually compared to Pac-12 schools. 
Like, why wouldn't they bolt? Of course they're going to mm-hmm. bolt. When Al Davis had his wars with Pete Rosell back in the day, one of the things that they went to their graves at odds about was a premise that we're dealing with today in college football. Rosell tried to block the Raiders from leaving for Los Angeles back when they were originally in Oakland. His fear, Rosell's fear as the NFL commissioner, was that if franchises could just leave for the highest bidder, we would lose tradition within the league and the NFL would have all of this mess on their hands with teams relocating left and right. Al Davis won that battle. Like he ultimately won after a really long legal battle with the NFL. And as a result, we got a bunch of movement in the NFL because owners are like, wait, you, you want me to stay in this crappy stadium when I've got this bigger market saying, come here and we'll give mm-hmm. you money for a new stadium. See ya. We're bye. We're gone. Underrated sports story of the 20th century was Al Davis leaving for Los Angeles after the lengthy legal battle with the NFL only to then say the Los Angeles Coliseum, it isn't giving us the luxury boxes that we wanted. So we're going to have to move to Irvingdale population 1000 because they gave us like a $10 million check to build the stadium that we want to play in this pit by the highway. <laughs> Underrated story. It's always about money. Cause he was right. Then he was wrong. That's the crazy thing. It's like, he was yeah. so ahead of his time, but he believed it. He got too greedy. It was like, no, I'm going to keep demanding stuff. It's like, brother, now yeah. you're in a horrible base. Now you're in the worst baseball stadium at MLB. Let's start yeah. there. Yeah. At a certain point. Uh, yeah. You got to figure these things out. It's always about money. That's what this comes down to. Mm-hmm. It's ironic that, that Texas got all huffy about A&M leaving them stuck mm-hmm. in the big 12 when they left for the SEC. To get a much bigger payday. And then, you know, Texas turns around, does the same thing to the Big 12 a decade later. The previous version of that, the Southwest Conference had different problems in the Pac 12, but it's something that you can kind of look back on and be like, all right, you know, there are some similarities in the way that a conference can fall apart. SWC stood for sure we cheating which is just a crazy premise. By the way, it's like raining sideways on my house. I apologize if anybody can hear that right now. It's oh, good. unbelievable how hard it's raining right now. Um, sure, sure, we cheating is fantastic. I, if somebody somebody needs to have that tattooed somewhere, just mm-hmm. as a, a Southwest Conference appreciator, and it was actually too cutthroat. It wasn't necessarily the problem that the Pac-12 was dealing with. Recruiting was so intense and competitive that everyone was ratting each other out. Schools got hit with major sanctions, or like the case with SMU, it got the death penalty. The difference between the old Southwest Conference and like the current version of the SEC was the fact that every school besides Arkansas was in the state of Texas. So you're talking about the number one recruiting ground in America, and that's where everyone in one league was getting the vast majority of their players. ESPN.com did a 25th anniversary story on the death of the Southwest Conference. R.C. Slocum, former AM coach, had this quote in there that just kind of encapsulated everything. He said, every Sunday in church, everybody's upset at each other. <laughs> I love that. The dominoes fell. Like, that's, yeah. that's what happened. And, you know, SMU getting the death penalty like shook up everything. You had public schools like Arkansas who were upset that they were getting the same treatment as private schools in terms of how much they would, they would get for road games, even though like we're bringing in more fans for these road games, we're giving you attendance. We shouldn't be having the same payday. And they're like, eventually enough is enough. This isn't fair. This isn't how we want to be able to do business. Arkansas got a $6 million raise the second it signed on the dotted line to join the SEC, which at the time back in the early nineties, that was the game changer. People said the beginning of the end, for the Southwest Conference was SMU getting the death penalty, Arkansas leaving for the SEC, huge, huge factor in that as well. That's what's about to happen in the Pac-12. And it, I mean, it already is, obviously. If Oregon and Washington are still in the conference a few years from now, I'll be absolutely shocked. I will. There's such, There's just so much angst over being the team 
who feels like, oh, we're pulling the weight for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, <laughs> meanwhile, Rice and SMU were just totally crippled, you know, post sanctions and dealing with all that stuff. And that is why if you've seen, you know, Florida State's administration has come out and been so frustrated with the revenue sharing in the ACC and everybody and their mother. And we'll talk about this a little bit with Brad, such like Florida State is an obvious candidate to leave if they ever get the opportunity to get free from that grant of rights deal in the ACC. Like that's that's the issue. I think you can trace the Pac-12's issues back to Larry Scott's struggles with the media contract. And maybe it was inevitable to a certain extent that the conference itself would hit issues in the TV rights era, wherein getting into homes was going to be an issue for people that have such great excuses to get out of their homes. Maybe that's part of this whole thing and what's maybe more inevitable than we realize, or maybe USC getting on probation and not really sustaining those Pete Carroll levels of success that we were talking about. Maybe that kind of took things away from the PAC 12. You could argue like the Oregon teams kind of should have taken the mantle, but I think we still kind of forget Oregon, the lack of proximity to elite recruiting doesn't necessarily have this rich 20th century history. Like Chip Kelly was only there for four years. And in the their their entire time before the Chip Kelly era, they had like four top ten finishes ever. Which isn't that crazy? I was talking about this the other day, talking about meteorite steel. Uh, people in our age group have been gaslit into thinking that Oregon is like actually a good historic football program. Nah. It's literally a coach program. It's Chip Kelly, and then like two seasons of Helfrich, and that's like ninety percent of their ten win seasons, dude. They didn't even like uh, they were trash. They were a doormat before he got there. And, and think about this too. I mean. When Larry Scott's trying to figure out uh, out like all of this, the future of the conference, the media deals, all that stuff, like back in the early 2010s, that's when Oregon really first started consistently getting top 20 recruiting classes. Before that, it was like, nah, they could have the occasional 51, yeah, maybe they're in the 30s or something like that. But that's when they really started to kind of pick that up. Larry Scott just never figured it out. He's never figured out signing that 12 year media deal with ESPN, which that's a constant topic is these long media contracts. Some might say that's a great form of security. Others look at it and say, you're an idiot. You couldn't re up. That's what the big 10 has done so unbelievably well. It's what the sec struggle with, with that really long contract, obviously with the, with CBS, the $55 million annually that they were getting there. And that was something that held the sec back from making as much money annually compared to the big 10. And there was also the decision that was made like three years ago for ESPN to like three or four years ago, ESPN wanted to take over the Pac-12 networks. They want, they want to take over the distribution. Larry Scott's like, no, no. (laughs) Imagine having all those issues and then saying, no, we're still not going to do this. And that was kind of the preamble for USC, UCLA leaving. They weren't able to, to snip that one in the bud. Like they should have been able to, and instead, they just left in the middle of the night. And that is what has the Pac-12 in this spot. And it's complicated, and there's a lot of layers to it. Long story short, SEC fans, count your blessings that you aren't in the Pac-12. And it's extremely similar to the people I talked to who left the newspaper business, me, um, Lauren, my brother, sister-in-law. Uh, count your blessings that you're not a part of the newspaper business anymore. Mm-hmm. Not good business. Just not. Simple as that. Yeah. I think that that's one thing. And it's like generations are like four years now, because I mean, that's one of the differences between me and you and our age group is that I initially wanted to be a journalist and I got swayed kind of like last second. I always talk about it to go to full sail. I remember like having second thoughts and talking to the, 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 the Dean basically. And he was just like, man, listen, he was like, if you want to go to journalism school, more power to you. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. You can go to Mizzou, Syracuse, you know, wherever, but 
he's like, you know, this, you know, this is where it's headed. It's headed away from there. Um, and that's how kind of we ended up in the same place, right? It was just kind of like two ships passing because I was headed towards social media and you were headed away from newspapers. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think, yeah, I think you're right on the money, man. It's funny, like I said, me coming from TV and you coming from newspapers, like this all relates to the Pac-12 because it's the same thing. And this is what happens when, you know, we can make fun of the Big Ten as we should for being overpaid, right? For for over leveraging themselves and capitalizing on all this. But, you know, looking at where the Pac-12 at, is at, I would much rather be the Big Ten. And honestly, like you got to, hey, look, now that Warren has made a good trade for the Chicago Bears, he might actually be smart. I don't know, because if you look at his TV deal and what those universities are actually bringing to the table from a content perspective, it seems like he bamboozled everyone and left, whereas the Pac-12 are the ones like, why are you looking like that? I don't like you giving him credit for that trade when Ryan Poles deserves the credit for that trade, but go on. You know, he didn't mess it up. He <laughs> landed the plane. Um, but point being, like, you know, I think I, I, I would rather it's the classic because you'd rather be overpaid or underrated, right? It's like they leverage it correctly and you got to get, you know, you got to take care of the money first. And so we can make fun of them not winning anything, but money's going to help that. And and to have, you know, as much recent success really is the, the Pac-12, you know, lost a couple championship games. They have like a random win in there with Ohio State, but that's kind of it. Like the difference between the two, Washington has made it, Oregon's made it, uh, USC almost made it. So, you know, but the, the, the financial disconnect is there because they're able to bamboozle people in the Big Ten in a way that the Pac-12 is not. And th- this goes to the elitism we talked about with the Big Ten, thinking that we're stupid. The Pac-12 is even worse, right? Because they don't even, they didn't even want to acknowledge football mattered until it was too late. Until... Like they were talking about, you know, our academics. Oh, our academics. Oh, we're a basketball conference. Oh, we have swimming. We have fencing. Oh, you have to have a 4.0 to be a fan of a Pac-12. We don't have Walmart fans here. Oh, and like, you know, Bill Walton just dumping. And I love Bill Walton. It's like, I truly do. But every broadcast, it's this, oh, you know, at this conference, they still got to go to class. All right, bruh. Well, have fun being broke in class. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, all right. And so, like, it's sad because a lot of these schools are so fun. I mean, you look at where Dion is in Colorado. It, you look at all these things, and they could have leveraged the geography. They could have leveraged, you know, used, done the reverse vanity model and been like, look, we have you know, six, seven great academic institutions. Let's go grab another one. Let's go grab, you know, one of these random schools. Let's go try to make a push for Oklahoma or something. Not that that would have happened, but some middle of like kind of middle America team that was without a home, Um, even like in Nebraska when they were up for it, maybe they should have made more of a push to do that, but they were too stuck in their ways. And I think, you know, that, that relates to all of this. It's all the same, right? So, <laughs> young Dolph said, rule number one, get the money first. They didn't do that. They put everything above the money, right? Yep. They put culture, they put pride, they put all this stuff and they were stuck in the old way of student athletes. And the concept of student athletes, guys, is dead. There, there are no student athletes anymore. Maybe that's not true. In football and mo- basketball is kind of half yeah. and half, depending on where you play. Football, you're not a student athlete if you play in a power five conference. But I, I'm not disparaging, you know, the, the, the non-revenue sports. You know, if you're there is a lot that the NCAA does for the fencing team, for the volleyball team, all that. Those are student athletes. They still have to deal with a lot of the problems that football players do without the revenue and that's even made it harder for them in my opinion because those guys a ton of them aren't getting nil deals and they're still kind of uh losing all the pride and not pride but the the what they're you know where their dads played they're they don't get to enjoy that because of the money going to a different program and to their school and a lot of them never see it a lot of them never see that football revenue because it gets reinvested back into football because the football boosters are like dog like we're making this whole thing happen why are you gonna put that into volleyball and so point being it all goes back to adapt or die man it all goes back to adapt or die you know, if you're sitting here thinking, oh, well, we're just going to keep our conference the way it is. We're going to resist the 12 team playoff like they did. We're going to resist on NIL. We're going to say basketball is equal to football. Now you're on my TV or sorry. Now you're on my fridge. Now you're on my fridge. Okay. 
And the whole you're not refrigerator running answer's not for long, big dog. All right, because yeah, yeah, yeah. about four of those teams about to leave, or if not, and and you look at Washington, Oregon, who, I mean, dang man, they've been company people through and through. Yeah, they've done everything right, and it's like, why do they deserve to get punished because this conference is stupid? Here's a question: Could the alliance have saved the Pac-12? Um, honestly. I mean, even if they were in the room with some of the Big Ten guys who we were sure were equally stupid, it seems like they were so much smarter uh, than them. And I'll say something too, man. You hit on this, and it's as simple as it is. I've never thought about it. A lot of the mismanagement at these Pac-12 schools, I think, has taken them away from that relevance. Having USC be useless for the last 10 years outside of the 2016 Rose Bowl, which you won't let me forget. You know, they have not been the team that was supposed to be the Ohio State, the standard bearer of this conference. Yep. They haven't done that. And Oregon, as fine as they've been, we're trash until 2000. You know what I'm saying? They're not in Alabama. They're not in Ohio State. USC is. They have all these championships. UCLA even has been a historic, you know, if you look through their alums, the guys they've, you know, sent through there, they've been that. They'll turn to USC. They've been bad outside of Hunley and stuff for like 10 years. So, I haven't even thought about how the mismanagement of that conference has gotten eyeballs away from them because the product has been gross. It's been these gross highlighter jerseys playing at 10 p.m. And then on top of that, they're like, we love the gross highlighter jerseys at 10 p.m. Oh, you don't want to, uh, uh, to yeah, reconcile? There's pushback. there's pushback with the time. Like David Shaw has spoken out about that, former right. Stanford coach. But that's that's what you can get. That, right. that was what you could get. And that's that's the issue is that they're like, all right, we're going to try and make this. Thing. I'll actually give them credit for Pac-12 after dark yeah. for kind of making that their thing, embracing that it's going to be weird. This is the game that you're betting on with your buddies when you've had a crap day and you're just hoping for something to be able right. to, to have that. I mean, is a better sell when you clearly know you're, you're not that team. Like say what you want about Kevin Warren or not the conference. I should say, say what you want about Kevin Warren. He basically told the Pac-12, George Klykoff, I'm going to give you a surprise birthday party. Blindfold you, I'm going to take you in the car. Drives him out to this abandoned field, pushes him out and says, walk home. I mean, that's that's essentially what he did by saying, yes, the alliance, we looked each other in the eye, we worked this thing out, and then USC and UCLA did what they did. And now having to negotiate a media contract without those two, without the Los Angeles market, Yep. is such a different task and it's something that i think we in we in college football can can say oh what does it really matter to be in those bigger markets if you can sell college football and these these small college talents who really cares in the grand scheme of things but this this does change the bottom line and it changes it in such a significant way and right now if you're not in the SEC or the Big 10 you're just you're not part of the power two it's a power two and when i say USC is or when I say the Pac-12 is is dead, I mean as having any chance whatsoever of being included in any sort of power conversation. That That is gone. You are not power anymore. We have two decades worth of data to tell us that. You know what, man? I'm starting to rethink what I think about Kevin Warren because you're right. I mean, it's just... Don't he do that. Do don't no, he listen, tried to cancel bro, a football season on us. I understand. And I, that's where my thought was coming from. But, bro, he did the... He, they got Pac-12 got Biz Marquis, man. He did the whole like, oh, let's all talk about... Let's talk about some rights deals. Let's talk about some rights deals. And the boys of the Pac-12 look around like, hey, why are you talking to USC and UCLA? Yeah, we're talking rights deals, bro. Don't worry. We talked about this, bro. And it's like, oh, oh, y'all, oh, y'all got the rights deal? And now we're sitting here? And it's like, he used that. It was the Bismarck key. It was like, I thought we were friends. Oh, you're not just a friend. Now you're conference mates. Nope. Okay. And it's like, 
that's so slimy, but that's what capitalism is. And that's it what is. we're signing up for, guys. Like I keep saying, get used to it because the stuff that made us fall in love with college football, the concert, the concept of these 18 to 22 year old kids who are kind of just like me for real. Like, no, nah, it's all gone now. And I know that, oh, it's always been that way. They've always been paying people, but it's never been out in front like this. It's never been every conference, but one saying all that matters is revenue. We don't care about academics and the conference that does care about academics are left in the dust. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, all right, before we kick it to Brad and Adam, a quick word from our friends at Underdog Sports Betting. As you know, not legal, not live in all these states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a fan of the SEC, there's a good chance that you are not in a state in which you can legally gamble on sports. So Underdog Fantasy has you covered. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. They have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play on these contests. You can pick on higher or lower for all these different games. You want to watch college basketball. You want to watch the NBA, whatever. It is really similar to sports betting player props, and you can put real money on the line. Yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. Underdog is awesome. It is super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room, and you can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. Take advantage of our promo where Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. That is SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. All right, let's kick it to Brad first, then Adam. I'm not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is my guy, Brad Crawford. Uh, Brad, you did something that few human beings would ever attempt, especially a dad, a father of two. Um, you got a 90-minute workout in before church on the day that we turn the clocks forward. On a scale of 1 to 10, with um, 10 being the regret that you would feel after buying like some Under Armour sneakers, how much did you regret that decision? This this was chest and back at 6 a.m. I guess we can call it local time this morning before the early service at church. It was uh, pretty bad, man. And and this was no water, no food beforehand. So after like my first couple sets, I like was seeing stars. <laughs> All right. So that's probably on what, like also six hours of sleep, maybe? I went to bed at about 10 last night. So a little, little right. bit earlier than normal. No, Knowing I had that 6 a.m. ahead of me, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's regrettable. I, I'd say that's like an eight, you know, in terms of regret. All the all the girls were sleeping. I left the house, worked out, came back home, and they were still sleeping. So it it, it worked out good. You walked in like just stumbling up the, up the <laughs> stairs, seeing stars. Trying to, trying to be quiet. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I want to dig into some uh, some Spencer Rather things with you. I, I feel like when um, when I get asked about him, uh, like like who he's going to be in twenty twenty three, it's like do do is it okay, he's going to be the guy that we saw in the last three games, or he's going to be the guy that we saw in the first 10 games, wherein he was clearly like one of the probably four or five, like worst quarterbacks among starters in the SEC. And uh, like when someone asked me like, all right, which one is it going to be? I just say, yes, like it's, it's going to be all of it in my opinion. Um, where do you kind of default to right now as you look at him? Is it like, okay, he's turned the corner or this is just who he is and we need to accept the good and the bad. So if you would have told me last season the Gamecocks would have won, you know, eight games with Rattler throwing, what do he throw, like 13 or 14 interceptions, I would have said no way. You know, I I thought the number was 3,000 yards passing and probably 25 touchdowns in order to get to eight, possibly nine wins. I think we see somewhere in the middle of that this season. I, I saw a stat recently, Connor, 
Rattler threw like 9% of his passes 15 yards or more the first 10 weeks of the season last year. And those last three games against Tennessee, Clemson, Notre Dame, like 27% went 15 yards or more. And the game cost passing game was light years better than the first two and a half months of the season. So I'm I'm hoping that first year OC Dow Loggins has read that statistic, has watched the film, and knows that when this passing game goes, you need to let Rattler put some air under the ball a little bit. He he became, you know, check down Spencer way too much last season. Uh, I don't know if Marcus Satterfield, the former OC, didn't have the confidence in him. Wide receivers weren't getting open. You know, I I haven't watched the the All-11 film, but no doubt Rattler did not play well the first three months of the season, and and he tell you the same. That's that's part of the reason, by the way, that he's back at Carolina this season and not, you know, an early-round draft pick. I You know, it, it's difficult because while I do think Satterfield and his usage was so frustrating, and by the end of it, I mean, the nine-snap Jaheim Bell game, you're just scratching your head going, what what in the world are, are you yeah. are you doing right now? Um, there are some parts of me, though, that kind of defaults to, all right, well, if, if you're not protecting – and this is what you need to do, and you feel like you're not giving him that time, I get it from that standpoint to want to check down and do these things. But I think he still has some bad habits to his game. I think he does things that very few guys in all of college football can, and he's going to make a few of those throws that just make you go, wow. It's everything in between. It's everything in between that determines how good is he going to be. And it would have been fascinating to see how he would have been picked apart with the NFL draft because – you know, like everyone's talking about Richardson and Levis right now, and they're they're just all about the traits. And, you know, they use those guys like use their legs more than Rattler does. But the knocks right. like they're I think they're also true of, of him. What what was his draft feedback? Because obviously, if he was in anywhere near that conversation, I think he'd be gone to the NFL. Yeah, early December, I, I spoke to about four different scouts. And I mean, they they had him from third round to fifth round, basically. With, you know, a, a good showing in Indy at the Combine, he may have been an early second-round pick. But like you said, Spencer has several throws a game, even even on the move where, you know, when when he's off-platform, he's pretty good. And, and he makes some throws downfield that a lot of guys in Power 5 ranks can't make. But then w- when he has time, sets his feet, then he'll, you know, he'll airmail something over the middle and he gets picked off. A lot, a lot of balls last season, you know, might might have been on the receiver's fault, but – those balls weren't well placed either, and part of the thing with you know Spencer Rattler is just his accuracy was an issue, and it wasn't at Oklahoma. So obviously, going from air raid to whatever that was that Marcus Satterfield called last season for the Gamecocks didn't didn't work out for Spencer. But I do think you know getting back to maybe a mix of a spread pro style, which is what I think Dow Loggins is going to do in Columbia. Rattler should have a better year, and what I expect to be his final year. Design runs. I mean, can we, can we see those? Like, I, I feel like that's a part of his game that uh, we were talking about last year. He gained the weight, and then we just didn't really see it very much. I think you would rather have Spencer run when you know it's it's not a design. I don't I don't want to see too many RPOs where it's a keeper for Spencer Rattler. I don't I don't think the Gamecocks have the depth at quarterback for that. Um, by the way, Lenora Sellers, a true freshman, he might be quarterback too this year ahead of Luke Doty. Not oh. not indictment on Doty, but more so. You know, Seller showing up 6'3", 240 in Columbia as a freshman. Huge, huge guy. So uh, I don't I don't think Dow Loggins is going to be running Spencer Rattler too much. But, you know, on third and six, when the Gamecocks offense is good, the quarterback can move around. And Spencer has shown in the past he can certainly do that. 
I mean, that would be an indictment on Doty. Like, with all due respect, if if in year three he's right, being passed right. up on the depth chart, like it, it's hard not to look through it through that lens. And I get it. You could tell me that he's developing, he's doing this. If a freshman's coming in and passing you, yeah. that's usually not a good sign moving forward. Um, you have Rattler as your number two quarterback returning in the SEC, only behind Jaden Daniels. Uh you have KJ as your fourth best quarterback in the SEC. Like, I mean, 15th overall, you had him at. Haven't we already gone down this road before? What are we doing here? He's a top 15 quarterback in college football. Yeah, but. That means he's an elite quarterback. But. But with with two new coordinators at Arkansas, and and I'm going to call defense too because we don't know how many times KJ is going to have to be on the field. You know what I'm saying? That We don't know how that defense is going to look. And I don't I don't know what kind of scheme Dan Enos is. It, is it quarterback friendly to KJ? Is he going to have enough weapons? There, there's too many questions for me to put KJ at number two right now in the SEC, and it's no disrespect, but I, but I know Hogs fans think I have some personal vendetta against, you know, baby Cam Newton out there in Fayetteville. Don't say that. Don't say that. We don't do that. We we swore off. and No more Cam Newton comparisons. No, none. Like, e- even if a guy is about to play in a national championship, I, mean, I, I, I still can't like at get least we've At least we've stopped the preseason Dark Horse Heisman stuff, right? I think uh, – I him. think we know Arkansas is not a good enough team for any 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 player to be in a Heisman conversation. I I yeah. I mean, I think there's you have to get to a, a probably nine and three threshold. Nine right. and three is the place where you know if you go back to Lamar, if you go back yeah. to uh, you know even I guess Manziel was what they were ten and two going into yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's not national championship or yeah. bus. Yeah, but those two guys were dying and. And again, nothing against KJ. Those two quarterbacks you mentioned were like dynamic superstars. I don't, I don't see that with KJ. I don't, I don't see it with Rattler either. By the way, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in the we're we're not really talking about like because if if I was doing my my national quarterback rankings, I'd probably have KJ somewhere in like the nine ten range. So it's not like we're really talking. <laughs> it's just in terms of the SEC hierarchy, which right. it's going to change a lot. It, it's going to, and you have Rodgers in there, and you know to have you know Rattler, and it's it's not like this is some some massive tier difference or, or hmm. anything like that. Um, the guys who are kind of in their own category. It feels like tier one, whatever it is nationally, Caleb Williams, Drake May. I mean, that's that's kind of the conversation. If you want to include Bo Nix in that, all right, that's fine. Michael, I Penix. Probably... Michael Penix is good, man. Michael Penix is good. And I say this as a totally unbiased Indiana grad who's totally not bitter that he couldn't throw a forward <laughs> pass in 2020. Like, not bitter at all. But, like, okay, so Drake May. Why, can, why will Drake May be different than Sam Howell? Because Sam Howell coming into his pre-draft year – I was like, I was singing his praises. I, I went on Charlotte radio. I'm like, this is the number one quarterback in the country. And he's, you know, preseason top 10 and all the mocks and all this stuff like that. And then he kind of became like this Matt Barkley, Brad Kaya type where he's like, yeah, that's a good comparison. Ah. I think so- Drake May's a lot better player. He, he, he just looks like an NFL type quarterback stands, stands tall in the pocket. Um, Sam Howe, I, you know, watching a lot of his games, a lot of stuff was on the move. He had some elite talent around him too, as as Drake May had last season. Now I do think Drake May's junior year coming up is his numbers will not be the same without Phil Longo and that air raid system. Um, you know, get, getting UCF's OC to to come to Chapel Hill. I just think that Drake May, obviously, he's going to be the top quarterback in 2024 class. But I don't know. I I like him better than Sam Howell. I think he's a low bust guy. 
but it does depend on franchise fit and, you know, kind of where he's drafted at next year. And well, I mean, the defense for UNC, as we know, led by Gene Chizik is going to be so much better. So he's not going to have to throw it, you know, throw it as much. So totally different. (laughs) I agree with you. Um, the, the that opener have you have you kind of handicapped it the South Carolina UNC opener I think it's one of the best games of opening weekend I know there's there's the, the Charlotte fatigue with those two teams but um I think there's a chance that they're going to be ranked facing each other for the first time ever that's never happened in the history of South Carolina UNC um but I mean obviously I'm emotionally invested too with with Chizik uh any game that Chizik coaches in but do you do you kind of have a feel for how you think that's going to play out yeah, I saw the opening line a few weeks ago was like minus two and a half UNC. That that's probably where I'd have it, just because I think Drake Mayer is is going to be the best player on the field. But you know, the Gamecocks right now, I mean, going into that season opener here, you know, seven months away, it's I have more questions about South Carolina than I do UNC as far as a preseason top twenty-ish team. I think I think the Gamecocks will be ranked higher than UNC based on the talent they've got coming back. But you know, you you look at South Carolina's pass rush. Um, I would say coaches are cautiously optimistic right now. Essentially lost three starters up front. And then the the rushing attack, losing Marshawn Lloyd to USC. He's one of like five starters the Gamecocks lost to the transfer portal. Um, so I, I'm just very interested in that game. That's that's the sort of barometer game for both programs between maybe an eight and four finish and a nine and three. Uh, UNC's a team, though, that I think will, you know, fight for bowl eligibility. I think they'll be that bad as far as a struggling, you know, preseason top 30-ish team. So they're going to be essentially like what it was two years ago, where two years ago they were starting off in the top 10. You got the household name and quarterback. I mean, Matt Brown's playing out the stretch, man. I mean, maybe maybe not this year, but he's he's about two or three seasons away from hanging it up. I, I mean, I think that's fair, though. Like, I, I think you can – you can find ways around that to where it doesn't totally derail your team. And I realize I'm saying that as Jim Beheim just did whatever the hell he was doing the last three, four years Man. at Syracuse. But yeah. I, there's a way to probably go about this. And it's not necessarily like you have to name a coach in waiting because that's not something you typically do yeah. in college football. But it feels like there's there's a path to UNC having some sort of relevance. But yeah, that that opener should be should be really, really good. Um, Clemson. I have dragged Dabo for the better part of three years since the portal has been a thing for yeah. basically like not, not abiding by adapt or die, but I, yeah. I got to give him credit. The NIL facility and the NIL coordinator, like they, they have the first NIL facility of its kind. I know Alabama, Miami, they have plans to do the same, but Clemson's at the forefront of it. Uh, something new age, which didn't see a whole lot of people necessarily talking about that. Is is Dabo suddenly one of the cool kids? Is he adapting? Yeah, that was sort of under wraps, right? I I put Clemson, I think, at number three in my facility update this year. I had him at one a few years ago, and and really they they stayed inside the top twenty five because top five because they've you know still building new on that campus. And like you said, a brand new NIL building, kind of kind of cutting edge there. I think the Garrett Riley hire, man, was the best assistant coaching hire of the offseason. You know, we we saw Clemson's main issues last year with Uyunglele. And then basically Cade Klubnik had to play early. Maybe he wasn't quite ready as a true freshman. I think having another offseason under his belt is going to work wonders. And Clemson's a team, you know, I've I've been reading where – a lot of us national analysts think Dabo Sweeney has won his last national title. I I wouldn't say that all that yet. You know, they're they're not recruiting right now at a top three level like 
you know, they were a couple of years ago while they had, you know, two in that five-year stretch. But, I mean, Kate Klum's a good quarterback, and he has a good offensive staff now. So if he can get that defense back to playing, you know, Brent V caliber before he left for OU, ACC's trash, man. And <laughs> we we know that there's, what, two or three really good teams in that conference. So you're you're playing two or three, you know, top 20 teams a year. You win those games, you're you're right there in the Final Four. Yeah, because 2018, ACC was really bad that year. And our question yeah. was, is Clemson, yeah. is Clemson just been kind of loading up on, on this easy schedule and then they get to the playoff and do what they do? And nobody could have anticipated that big of a blowout against Bama. So I it's guess you already – Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've already answered this question. If you had to bet your sneaker collection on Dabo winning another national title, would you do it? I think I would. And especially in the extended playoff era. I mean, Clemson's going to go – basically 10 and two by just showing up as long as the Tigers stay in the ACC, which I think Clemson, UNC, maybe, maybe Miami, Florida state, you know, those won't be ACC programs here down the road, but that's a whole nother podcast to, you know, start. But I mean, I I do think in the playoff expansion era that Clemson's going to have enough firepower. If he continue to sign these five-star quarterbacks, he is signing. Yeah. They'll, they'll win another title. Okay, so I mean, let's let's talk about it. It doesn't have to be a whole other podcast. We can do this right now. I've been wondering about this hypothetical for for a little yeah. bit now. Yeah. Um, the grant of rights deal with the ACC. It appears there's not a whole lot of wiggle room because if there was, we probably would have heard about this. I imagine lawyers have just been working overtime to try and figure some way out of this contract that locks the ACC teams in this media deal through 2036. Hundred twenty-five million. Yeah. But like, let's let's just say hypothetically. Hypothetically, Michael Scott Giff, it's happening. Right. We find out, all right, these guys, these teams can get out of this deal. And the, those phone calls are happening. Who gets that first phone call from Sankey? Is it Clemson, Florida State, or Miami? Or is it perhaps somebody like a UNC or like a Virginia? Like who who does Sankey pick up and call if he finds out it's on everybody in the ACC is open for business? So, you know, I live in Fable, North Carolina. A lot, a lot of my newspaper ties are, you know, UNC sources, and me and those guys go way back. Everyone in Chapel Hill, Connor, thinks UNC is destined for the Big Ten. They, they are not going to be an SEC program. When when realignment and expansion continues, I think you see Tar Heels in the Big Ten. I think Florida State will be the next SEC edition. Uh I've been told by by some guys there that Florida State is trying to drum up that that buyout money. So even if they can't fix that grant of rights, one hundred and twenty five million dollar exit fee, if if they're able to get you know a a times two current revenue what they're getting right now from the ACC, which if the SEC adds the Seminoles and maybe adds a a Oregon or another West Coast team. You're talking about a probably ripped up media rights deal and something a lot more lucrative. So Florida State's pretty confident that even if they have to pay this crazy absorbent fee, five to seven years down the road, they're going to make that money back and then some. It's it's crazy to think about. That, that's like the big headline. I'm just waiting for. We're, yeah. Like one day I'm just going to open Twitter. ACC finds way out of grants of rights deal. And then it's like it, it is on. And, it, and the, whatever sort of realignment that we've been talking about for a while, it can really explode. I mean, and my theory has been for a little bit, and this isn't based on any any sort of inside knowledge, but the dream scenario for the SEC, based on the way that Sankey has been talking about this, liking the regionalization of the conference and kind of poking fun at the Big Ten for expanding right. out west, which, all right, like whatever, um, having the state of Florida, just 
having the state of Florida with your three big programs, and I know UCS going to the Big 12, so it's going to be considered Power 5, but there's not really going to be a Power 5 very soon here because we can't count the Pac-12 in that either. But to have Miami, Florida State, and Florida all in the SEC, that to me would be insane. And that would like take this thing to a, a different place just to have the whole state because it's different for the Pac-12 to have California, right? Like California, the, the interest level is totally different than what it is in down here in Florida. Is there a scenario in which that happens or am I just, you know, doing a little bit too much fan fiction? I mean, I remember when the ACC added Miami and and how excited, you know, those in, those in Charlotte or wherever the ACC office, you know, how excited they were to, to add the Canes because they just knew that now – We've just added a program that's going to bring more national titles to the ACC. All of a sudden, the last 22 years, Miami has not done that. And I think has made, what, like one championship game, if if that. Yeah, I think it's just the one. It's so um, bad. If if the SEC were to add FSU and Miami, though, then that, that pretty much handicaps the ACC. Once UNC leaves for the Big Ten, you're talking about, you know, the, the Dukes, NC States of the world – all of a sudden becoming relative G5 type programs, you know? So it'll, it'll be interesting if, you know, I don't, I don't want to see the ACC die. I I grew up, I know I've, I've been an SEC football guy my whole life, but I do live in, you know, Jefferson pilot, ACC country, tobacco roads is a few miles from me. So um, I don't, I don't want to see the ACC evaporate, but if they lose some of those blue bloods, like UNC Miami and Florida state and Clemson, it certainly will very, very quickly. Yeah, the the chances of the ACC dying before the Pac-12, I wouldn't say are Oof, great, yeah. but there's at least a path to it, and that path is obviously associated. Let me ask you this: so th- this this Pac-12 rumored deal with Amazon or 100% streaming, are are you someone that would, you know, buy a streaming package just to watch Pac-12 games? So you don't know this, but that that's that's the the subject in the open for for today's podcast is, oh, is cool. talking about this, and huh. to me. I, I think it's horrible. I think it's a sign. And the comp that I've made is I think the Pac-12 and this media rights deal is like the newspaper business and some of the ways in which they have tried yeah. to stay afloat. And then you've just kind of realized like, oh, crap, we did this too late. And decisions that were made more than a decade ago are determining their current fate. And now it's all of a sudden like, oh, my gosh, we were like grasping at straws. I think it's a, a play and Chris Vanini wrote a great article about this for the athletic as well, about how streaming isn't necessarily saving TV. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why like Netflix has been so, you know, like what's, what's the word conservative with bidding on live sports. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think it'd be a, a horrible sequence of events for the PAC 12 to follow. If their main media package is associated to like Amazon or Apple TV, because it's different to have a piece of it. And to do it like what the NFL is doing, but to have it for your entire stuff, like, no, no, no. You, where you can't just flip that on on a college football Saturday, can't even flip on like you would flip on Pac-12 after dark. I think yeah. that's awful. I mean, you you would go from basically Pac-12 network being obscure right now to then fading into oblivion. I have to download something on my TV just to watch, you know, a, a Oregon-Utah game. But if if we do get to that point, I don't, I don't think some of the big wigs left in the Pac-12 – like Washington, Oregon are going to be Pac-12 teams. Exactly. I think Pac-12 powers to be know that maybe those two, maybe in Arizona State, are are going to leave soon, which, you know, now they're trying to 
have contingency plans in place to, okay, here's the four to six teams that we call immediately. I mean, even, even rice has been mentioned like yeah. seriously. I mean, if, JT Daniels. So, you know, who knows? I mean, if, if you add rice to the pac 12, you know, the, the, the product, nobody watches just got a little bit worse. No like offense. Lance, to fans. Yeah. Lance Armstrong's kid went there. He was a walk on for a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it'd be it'd be terrible. It would be it would be absolutely awful, and it would, you know, we would be talking about the Pac-12 in just a such a different way in terms of you know their national branding and all that stuff. And those te- those conferences or those teams in the conference would would like. Can you picture Phil Knight sitting there on a college football Saturday trying to figure out Apple TV and all those people that have oh, money in the Pac-12, like, no. oh no, that would just be it would be awful. Um, okay, before I let you go, got to get one country music co- uh, question in. I have major now, angst. Now you know I'm not well versed on it. I know. Anymore. I know. Okay. All right. I know. I'm not going to ask you current stuff. Not, not current. Throw me a softball now. All right. No, we're we're going to throw you softball. Um. So, I have angst right now because my dream concert, my dream concert would be John Party at Red Rocks. My mom okay. opens up on Christmas morning, present from her boyfriend. We're going to Red Rocks to see John Party. I'm like, great. Congratulations. You guys have fun. I obviously can't do that. Going to have a newborn. Not exactly. You know, not exactly right. in position to be able to make that work. Same thing with the August Chris Stapleton, George Strait concert. That would probably be my other bucket list. It's in Tampa, so that's not a bucket list venue or anything like that, but can't do it. And now I'm just, you know, frustrated about it. What's your your bucket list concert right now? And it could be somebody that you've seen before, but maybe okay. venue is incorporated. Well, my well, my 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 bucket list lifetime concert would be small bar, acoustic only, Tim McGraw. That's good. Dang, that's good. Um, like he, that. so so his his new song came out like two days ago. Standing room only. Yep. It's it's catchy. He probably didn't write it. It doesn't it doesn't sound like old school Tim, but it's still new Tim McGraw music. So you know how to listen to it. But yeah, man, it feels you know small bar, 10, 12 people there, and just Tim McGraw by himself on a bar stool. I, I would I would be there and and not have to go to any more live concerts. That is such a good answer. Crap. All right. I got to change my bucket list. And I we've dabbled in this a little bit. Uh, Ernest yeah. was over here right by us at, at, at a Wakaiba Island. Oh, cool. And it was awesome. It was this little intimate show, like 100 people, something like that. And it was just nice. all acoustic. You know, yeah. like, this is this is the heart and soul. Like to, to see something like that, John Party in like a, a bar with, you know, 15 people, just, you know, scattered claps and stuff like that. PBR, so $2 quick, PBR. Yeah. Let me tell you a story. So, my my like second year at Sorry Down South, I got to interview Darius Rucker That's down right. in the Charleston bar by myself before an album release party. And that's still as a college football writer, like the most fun I've ever had doing a one-on-one interview. So, you know, to to think, you know, possibly having that bucket list opportunity with, with Tim McGraw, man, that'd be sweet. Brad, the first time I met you, I wanna say that you had an interview earlier in the week with Luke Bryan. And I was like, 20, this is the 2015. Time 2015, yeah. I think. Yeah, because I was like, wait, this is the type of stuff that they do with this company? Like, oh, he's just like chilling with Darius Rucker here. And oh, yeah. yeah so, so, Luke so Luke was a big, yeah, he's a big uh, dogs fan. And of course, Darius is a Gamecock through and through. So, I mean, I need to be lining these opportunities up. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm trailing on you, man. I got to catch up to this. Uh, okay, last, last one. Uh, two years ago, I did it. I'm going to put you on the spot just a tiny bit on this one, just right. a tiny bit. Um, sure. Or you could just nod politely if, if you have no, <laughs> no thoughts to add to this. Uh, I did a country artist to describe every SEC team, but it was, it was two years ago. So it's already outdated. Um, and I will update it some point this offseason. Hopefully that's on my to do list. 
I'd love your take on this one for South Carolina. I've got a couple, but the one that I'm leaning towards is Cody Johnson. And I say that because it's like before you could kind of say like Texas red dirt country, how much upside do you really have if you're not on the radio? How much upside does a program like South Carolina have if you're playing Clemson and Georgia every single yeah. year? Have yeah. we really seen their upside? And now that Cody Johnson is all over the radio and he's getting all of his singles are going to be big on country radio. He's starting to blow up, right? You can you can still buy low right now on South Carolina, and three years from now, when you know Shane Beamer maybe is a top fifteen coach, then you're like, hey, I knew Beamer in yep. year three, you know, before he became, you know. So and so, I you know I I like Josh Heupel right now too. I think his stock it it might be a little high based on how Tennessee finished last year, but when when the Vols come back down to earth to about an eight and four this year, after year three for Heupel might be a good time to buy him too. Okay, so then for Josh Heupel, like if you're high on him, then it's like what are we talking, Luke Combs? Hardy, Hardy Luke Combs for oh Hardy, oh yeah, made, you love Hardy, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that that uh that gun song man with. Laney Wilson. Dawson. We argued about that last time, man. I still can't I love get on board Wilson. with it. Yeah. Laney Wilson's got a great voice. She's got a great, great voice. That song I just can't get on board with. I'm like, wait a minute. So you're telling me, you're telling me, and I know we're going to argue about this. Nobody cares about this, but you're telling me that you saw this girl walking down the road and you're like, he's taking a bid. I he's mean, taking a bid just because he saw a girl walking down the road. That can't be worth it. That's never worth it. You saw a stranger walking down the road. You're like, I got to make this right. I got to kill this person that did this Loneliness, this man, makes you do a lot of weird things, I guess. Oh, my God. Hey, look, I like the dark, the dark side of it. You know, it's it's. I, I love storytelling and country yeah. music. I'll support that. That one, I'm just I'm just listening and scratching my head. I'm like, you risked it all for this stranger that you didn't even I like, know. I like country music that that tells stories, not, yes. not bubblegum radio hits. I like, you know, a, a Blake Shelton song that from start to finish, he tells and he ends a story. So like anything before 2014, 2013? Like Old Red, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I was going to say, Blake hasn't told a song in right. you know, eight years. but Old know. school Blake, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Brad, this has been great, man. Really appreciate the time. Thanks, buddy. How about this one? I call it Bold and Brad. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. All right, let's do a little bold and brash. Talking NCAA tournaments. Got our guy Adam Spencer on. Uh, Adam, your initial reaction to the SEC's draw in the NCAA tournament was what? What was your biggest takeaway? I just think that this tournament has a lot of chaos potential there's and and that's you know especially when it comes to the sec but that's the sec's fault mostly because when you're in that you know five seed to nine seed range where a lot of these teams are you know there's a lot of potential for for upsets you know five seeds lose to 12 seeds all the time uh we've even seen more 13 seeds upsetting four seeds uh here recently so you know tennessee is a number four seed shouldn't necessarily feel too good. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we'll talk about Texas A&M's draw in a bit here, but, uh, you know, I, I just think that, uh, you know, it was a fair draw. It's just, it's just tough. Like, and that's the way it should be in March, I guess. Uh, especially, like I said, when you're in that middle tier range. Well, let's, let's talk about that then, because I think A&M fans thought, Maybe there's going to be some sort of correction after last year. And the way that it played out 
with Buzz Williams' team getting to the SEC championship, being told, no, you were basically in a need to win to get in scenario. And then this year, you're like, all right, you're in a much different spot, 15 and three against the SEC in the regular season. You end up going 17 and four against SEC competition, which that is significant for an eight bid league. And then you're told, oh, no, you're actually only a seven seed. I think AM fans had every right to be pissed off. And seeing the way that that draw played out with now getting Penn State, a team who, you know, similar, really similar as a team that played in the Big Ten Championship. I watched them kill my Hoosiers a couple different times in like every facet of the game. I think AM fans have an even bigger gripe than Vandy fans who felt like they played really well down the stretch but didn't get in. Yeah, I mean, Vanderbilt just didn't have the overall record, I think. Uh, you know, and that's and that's fine. You know, you they, they this more than anything else it just seems like they really you know normally they say like oh it's how you're playing late but they really seemed to value early season wins like yeah. like you know or losses and you know Texas A&M had a rough non-conference schedule that seems to have hurt them even though like you said they went 15 and 3 in regular season against the SEC they beat number 1 seed Alabama in the regular season they, you know, what, what more do you 17 and four overall against SEC competition? Like what more do you want from the Aggies? Like, I, I don't, but like, like I said, like, and similarly, like on the opposite side of that coin, Arkansas is an eight seed. I have no idea how they're that high. They should be a like 10 seed, maybe even an 11 seed in a play in. And that's not like, you know, I've been a big fan of the past two Arkansas teams that have gone on to the Elite Eight. Um, so I'm not like an Arkansas hater just because I'm a Mizzou graduate. I've liked what Coach Musselman has done. I just think that, you know, they they had a couple nice non-conference wins, but they come into this tournament having lost four or five games and, uh, and it, they're just really struggling. And I just I don't understand why, you know, the early season wins were – and losses for A&M were factored in so heavily when, you know, in the past they've said that part of the metric is how you're playing late. So. Okay. So answer this, cause this is what I was wondering about as it relates to scheduling and scheduling in college basketball is very different in terms of, you know, what you, what's actually valued. And I would look at A&M who like, it, it was very well known. Okay. They're, they're non-conference bad, really bad. You have so much to lose from those quad three or quad four losses that like it almost blows me away that more teams aren't willing to just say, we're going to strictly play quad one, quad two games. And I understand you want to be able to get your guys confidence. You don't want them getting banged up, but I'm looking at some of these teams going, man, like the, the amount of losses they, they have just does not matter. It just does not matter. And I'm thinking if you can just have the quad one wins and just put that in your back pocket, I mean, even like TCU, what, how, like how many losses did TCU have, but because they have like what eight quad one wins or something like that, it's they, they get the benefit of the doubt. And even West Virginia is sitting there with 14 total losses. Like, all right, but well, West Virginia played in the big 12. So they get these opportunities for all these quad one wins. And it's just like, if that's what's going to be valued and if they're not even going to fully look at net, then doesn't it make more sense for these teams to just say, screw it. We're just going to play the most difficult non-conference schedule possible. Yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, I agree 100 percent. I mean, just look at the first team out was like Oklahoma State. They're 18 and 15. And, you know, then you have Clemson there that's 23 and 10 and gets left out, too. But like just for those two teams and for Oklahoma State to, you know, be uh, like in that same conversation as Clemson, it, it's crazy. You know, like you said, they 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 have so many opportunities to play quad one games. And that does seem to be 
what's valued. I mean, this Gonzaga team is not a three seed. Like they should be a little lower. Um, they should be a five seed, I think, but you know, they challenge themselves in non-conference play. They have a win over Alabama, which is really important. So I, I just think that, uh, you know, you're, you're right with, with that in that, you know, they absolutely challenge themselves. They pick, they, they picked up some good wins, but it just seems like good losses were valued a little bit too much to me in this, in this tournament bracket. And, uh, you know, I, I want to see how it plays out because, you know, if we have, if we have, you know, six big 12 teams make it to the sweet 16, then everybody will look and be like, yeah, that's justified. They played a tough schedule and uh, clearly those, all those quad one games, win or lose helped. But, you know, if they get three teams into the, into the sweet 16. I mean, especially when you have, you know, a one seed in Kansas, a two seed in uh, Texas and, you know, some, and three seed in Baylor. So some, some very high rated teams, you know, I think that uh, if they struggle and have some early round upsets, then, uh, you know, people are going to start to question like what this version of the selection committee was, was doing with some of these uh, with what they valued and what they, uh, you know, sort of criticized. And, and I think the Big 12 sort of deserves the benefit of the doubt. If you have two different national champions in consecutive years, okay, yeah, like your conference is good. Checks out. I, I think the Big 12 is is really solid. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, just seeing the way that the bids shook out, though, you're always it's it's impossible to predict who's going to get the benefit of the doubt. I think Kentucky fans have long felt, at least Cal has long spoke out about all the raw deals that, that Kentucky gets and everything's an injustice. And like, there's there's a certain thing, there's a certain point to be made for that. I came into this thinking Auburn's probably going to get a tough draw. They're probably going to end up getting a really tough draw. Given what they were down the stretch, lose nine of your final 13 games. It looks like you can't close these games out. And I'm telling myself, don't put any sort of faith in this Auburn team. And then I see the draw. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's interesting. This could be shades of 2017 South Carolina. 2017 South Carolina gets to play essentially a home game in Greenville. And they end up being like the home team in the second round against against Duke. And then you're kind of wondering, wait, how did this work out this way? And Auburn now gets to play in Birmingham, potentially, if they're able to get past Iowa in the first round. They are able to get to the second round against Houston. I'm sitting there going, crap, Houston, you better be rooting for Iowa to win that first round game. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I think Iowa has the firepower offensively to do it. But yeah, I mean, that's going to be a very pro Auburn crowd. <laughs> you're you're very right about that. Uh, you know, it's, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting because Alabama's there too. So, you know, that's going to be a pretty split crowd there. So, you know, maybe, maybe if Alabama fans buy up more tickets, you know, oh. maybe there'll be a little bit more feel of a neutral site game uh, for Auburn but you know I expect their fans to show out too you know they they really like this Bruce Pearl uh, era of Auburn basketball so I expect them to be pretty well represented uh, it's just I don't know if they'll be better represented than uh, than Alabama so we'll, we'll see what sort of uh, what sort of crowd dynamics are there for those games um, but yeah I I agree with you. I mean, I think that that's a big, big benefit for a nine seed, uh, you know, especially when a seven seed like Mizzou gets shipped off to Sacramento. So thoughts and prayers to those refs, Bruce Pearl, Fran McCaffrey. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know how you mentally yeah. prepare for that. That sucks. That's going to be terrible. Um, okay. Tennessee, Tennessee or Mizzou. Who would you say has a better path to the sweet 16? Because you would say as of a couple weeks ago, 
Tennessee should be set up really well. And then, you know, obviously you lose Ziegler and then you're wondering how in the world are you going to get past this Duke team to get to, uh, to a sweet 16. And we're suddenly maybe asking the same questions about Rick Barnes all over again. And then Mizzou is sitting there with, uh, like you just mentioned, a difficult draw. We saw those two teams play in the sec chant in the sec tournament, a game that you tipped me off on this, this very podcast about a month ago. And you were exactly right on the money with that. Those two teams, how do you kind of break down their draw and their path to get to the second weekend? Well, can I start with uh, how long can I have for a Mizzou rant here? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll limit you to just keep it under a minute. You're good. Okay. So they tip off at 1040 a.m. local time in California. That's malpractice by the NCAA. Like that's that's unfair to Utah State, too. Like that's not just the Mizzou got screwed thing. Like, like, what are they doing? Tennessee tips off at like 940 p.m. Eastern time. So it's going to be late. So so why not switch those two games? Why not make Tennessee tip off at 1:20 p or 1:40 p.m. Eastern time and have Mizzou and Utah State tip off out west at at uh, you know 9:20 p.m. Eastern time. Like you've there's your, your early fix game right there. But you've got the early game. You've got Virginia plays that like 12:40 game in Orlando. And so that's like you can't you could you wouldn't be able just, to just switch those. But just I it, they should have taken into account that like I, I just like they should switch Virginia to a later start too like I, I just I just don't get why they would start a Sacramento regional so early um and then you know Utah State obviously is uh, is a very well-loved uh Ken Palm team I think Ken Palm has them in the top 20 yeah he has them at 18 so like that's a that's a really really tough draw for for Mizzou um but with potential for Arizona in round two, which I wouldn't expect them to get past Arizona, another offensive juggernaut that uh, actually plays some defense. So, you know, we'll see. That's a tough draw. I I do think Mizzou can win that first game, but uh, yeah. And then Tennessee, you know, you're right. Like this, the chance that Tennessee has is that they can force Duke's young talent into some struggles and some turnovers and some, ill-advised shots but uh without Zakai Ziegler that's just that's a tough ask I do think they get past Louisiana but uh yeah that's that's a really tough um just and and I don't that's just with anybody like I you could have anybody lined up across from Tennessee at this point and without Ziegler the like the real spark plug for that team both offensively and defensively and their one true point guard like they I don't I just don't that's that's a brutal injury that's probably tied with Jalen Clark at UCLA for the most impactful injury of a, of a top seed heading into the tournament. But again, like that's why I wouldn't have had Tennessee as a four seed. Like yeah. it just goes back. That goes back to just how much they valued early season wins and losses because Tennessee Mizzou beat Tennessee head to head twice. Mizzou has a better overall record and a better sec record than than Tennessee, but the metrics all hate Mizzou and love Tennessee, even without Zakai Zeeler. Like I, I, it just doesn't make sense that Tennessee's a four seed at all, and it doesn't make sense that if Tennessee is a four seed, that Mizzou wouldn't be a similarly rated team. So I, I just, I don't get it. Um, but you know, I'm not, 
I guess I'm just the wrong kind of bracketology expert because I don't see what they saw. I don't see what they saw in Arkansas. You know, I, I think Mississippi state was slightly underseeded. Um, but you know, I, I just, I, this bracket is a real head scratcher to me. And, uh, both of those teams have tough draws and I don't see either of them getting out of the second round to answer your question about Tennessee and Mizzou. I think that Mizzou rant was more than a minute, Adam. I think so too. I just, <laughs> I got on a roll there. I got on a roll there. I'm fired up, Connor. Fired I love up. It. Good time here to be fired up. Uh, let's go to the Saturday Night South podcast, Facebook group. We've got some very bold, very brash predictions here. Uh, Ryan land says VCU to the sweet 16, go Rams. Shakai, uh, Shaka Smart, like still, no, he's at Marquette. He's at Marquette. I, I know that. <laughs> I Marquette in the final four. I'm not. I'm not that dumb. Um, VCU, have they done anything in the NCAA tournament since Shaka left? <laughs> um, not yeah, not not a lot. But uh, I like I like VCU to beat St. Mary's. You know, I I think that something that gets overlooked a lot with St. Mary's is that they do beat up on a lot of these West coast conference teams that historically we don't pay much credit to. I mean, yes, they, they'll sometimes like, you know, they went like one and two against Gonzaga this year. So they got that win over Gonzaga, but like, that's, I, I, I just, I just think once it comes to tournament time, they've been historically disappointing just because I think that they are overrated a little bit based on their overall record. And you look at the metrics and it's like, they're like one of the slowest teams in the country and yeah, they're great defensively and they're efficient uh, enough offensively. But I, I just think, you know, it, that's such a, there's such a variance there in teams that play like that. And all you need to do is look at Virginia under Tony Bennett. They were the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed and then they come back and win the the whole dang thing. So, you know, teams that play like that have that variance. So I do have VCU upsetting St. Mary's. That's my 12, five upset. Uh, but Connecticut has been sleep has been, people have, uh, you know, given up on Connecticut a little bit. So now they're riding a little bit of a sleeper status up until, you know, their recent tournament performance, but, uh, that Connecticut team is really tough. Um, but VCU still plays with that, that pressure that, uh, Shaka implemented and, uh, yeah, you know, so that's going to be a really good game, a really sneaky four twelve matchup. If Connecticut can get past the fighting Rick Patinos in round one, um, which I think they should be able to. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's not it's not a crazy take to have VCU in the Sweet Sixteen, but I, I have Connecticut taking them down. You're the first person I've ever heard refer to them as Connecticut. You made it longer. <laughs> I respect that. I actually do. I like that. Um, I, UConn is so they're beloved by the metrics. Like all the mm-hmm. the Ken Palm stuff is just UConn, UConn, UConn. And I was like hearing about them. I remember in November, and then they kind of fell off a little bit. And now, like everybody's, I think Jay Billis has has UConn in his final four. Um, that region itself is is wild because I mean you've got four. I think four of the top nine in Ken Palm. Uh, are in that are in that region like Gonzaga just you know kind of waiting in the wings there and like what could potentially shake out and given you know UCLA's relatively unknown status with the Clark injury and all that but that region feels like it could end up being the absolute best one do you agree with that I yeah if you think like yeah in terms of like top end talent yeah I definitely think that those top four seeds like that is the one region where I have all four top four seeds advancing to the elite eight. So 
or uh, to the Sweet 16. I mean, um, yeah. So I I, just, I really do think that that is the most uh, top heavy region, um, and all those teams are capable of of long runs. But uh, the most exciting region I think is the East, where I think just chaos can reign. You know, they have Marquette in there. Uh, you know, Kentucky, Duke, Memphis, yep. Purdue. Like I have. I have Memphis upsetting Purdue in the second round as my first number one seed to lose. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of uh, potential for that region to be chaos. And I expect things to be a little more orderly in the, in the West, but uh, some really good basketball, especially starting in that sweet 16. The most popular non one seed to make the final four might end up being Duke, like out of, out of that region, people don't want to pencil in Purdue as a Final Four team. Like trusting Zach Eady if he gets two fouls, what does that look like? There's, there's a definitely rookie, I think, or uh, not rookie, but uh, two freshmen in the backcourt. That's that's oftentimes a death sentence in March. So yeah, not ideal, not ideal for for the Boilers. Um, all right, let's go to this one from. Grant Haney, he says, Alabama does a Texas two-step in NRG Stadium with Brandon Miller and company cutting down the nets in H-Town against Texas on a last-second three, uh, a feeling Longhorn fans know all too well. And nine months later, Saban in the Tide, um, he said T-Y-D-E, as in like tie for Ty Simpson, go on to win national title <laughs> number 19 in the same building. Um, Ooh, that's a that is, that is fire. That is a fire take there. Um, yeah, I mean that's I I don't know like Alabama is going to be an unpopular team nationally. They've been that they've ever since the Brandon Miller situation um you know in the way that Nate Oates has handled that they've been a very unpopular team nationally. I know some Alabama fans have dug in their heels and uh you know will support them no matter what and that's fine. You know, that's their choice. They're they're right. I, I just think that that's going to be a lot of pressure on this on this team's back. And yeah, they they rose to the occasion for for the SEC tournament. But you know, this is a longer march to a title here. Um, so you know, I, I it's it's always tough. You know, there's 68 teams in this bracket, and uh, you know, about 25 of them could potentially you know win the win it all. Um, <laughs> it's it's a crazy year like that. But uh, you know, Alabama certainly has the talent to go that deep uh it's just a lot of pressure being the number one overall seed i don't know what the like when was the last time that the number one overall seed won the title do you do you know i i know you know it, it when gonzaga and baylor played and baylor won they were like the number two seed overall but like yeah I don't you would know have when. to go uh, what was it i mean 16 of the 22 champions in the 21st century were one seats right so it's it's probably not that far that you have to go back um kansas yeah. kansas wasn't the number one overall seed last year were they no it, i don't think they were um yeah because wasn't was gonzaga the number it, one overall seed oh yeah i think you're right yeah yeah so, so it's, it's yeah, been a minute it, it's been a minute and uh yeah so i it, that's a lot of pressure to carry on you so yeah, they've they've risen to the occasion though it's just in you know then then you have the football portion of that where uh, you know you're breaking in a new quarterback 
I expect Alabama to be in the mix for the playoff. Um, so, you know, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Uh, you know, we'll see if this is Alabama's year or not. Nova, Jalen Brunson, that had that has to be the answer, right? I would think. Last that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Joshua Morris says, Rick Barnes gets the balls fired up and they make a run to the Sweet 16 after beating Duke. I would consider that a bold prediction at this point. Uh, Kentucky loses in the first round and immediately in the offseason, they fire Coach Cal. Alabama makes a run to the Final Four without Brandon Miller, only to get mopped up by Purdue. Do uh, I don't know why Brandon Miller would all of a sudden be suspended. I guess that's why it's bold and brash. Uh, then Purdue and Houston play in the finals and Houston wins the tournament 90 to 85. That actually might be the most bold prediction yet that Houston plays in a national championship in which the final score is 90 to 85. That'd be crazy. <laughs> that, that would be, that would be one of our highest scoring title games in recent history. Um, I want to, I want to hit on the Tennessee and Kentucky parts of that prediction. Cause like you said, I, wouldn't expect Brandon Miller to be suspended now. That'd be strange by all accounts. Um, but yeah, the let's start with the Kentucky part. If they lose to Providence, I don't. I don't think that they have the buyout money um, to buy out Cal. But uh, I mean, that would just that would certainly certainly increase the pressure even more to like. Like, what are you doing, Cal? You know, you have all this talent and you're a six seed. Kentucky shouldn't be a six seed in the tournament. You know, losing to St. Peter's as a two seed last year was awful enough. But yeah, they Providence is basically a must win game, like to keep the pressure off of him. I, I think I, I think that that's and then uh, the Tennessee part of that. Yeah, with, without Zakai Ziegler, I just think he was so important. He was one of the you know, he, he's not the SEC player of the year, obviously, but like he is one of the most valuable players in the entire league. So, you know, just what he does, you know, assists, he, he led the SEC in assists. He's up there with steals, like just the energy that he provides, the ball handling, the playmaking, they really miss him, you know, and, and that's, I think that's going to become obvious. Uh, even, I think they're going to struggle to beat Louisiana in, in the, first round i think they'll get the job done but uh yeah a, a potential matchup against duke or even a team like oral roberts with max aces on it in round two should oral roberts pull off that upset will be very tough without ziegler on the court can you think about that too about we talk about you know two coaches who feel that pressure rick barnes all four of their losses in the ncaa tournament have come to lower seeded teams which that's like that that's a tough look and when you can point to, oh, it's you're, you're struggling to score. I think there's what's what's the stat? I looked this up a few weeks ago. It was like nine of the last ten times that you know they've they've when they've lost in the NCAA tournament, they've like failed to hit seventy points in regulation, which is just a really tough number when you can continue to come back and say, all right, well, this is our style. This is like who we are. And that's some of the frustration that obviously Kentucky fans is that, you know, Cal is, is doesn't, you know, have the right spacing. And it seems like this year's team, whenever they find the right rotation, it's just like one injury here, one injury there. And I think you look at both of these coaches and you're obviously better off with them than the alternative. But if you're poo-pooing the angst that fans have and the frustration, I don't think that you're looking at this in the proper way because how could you not point to the coaches in charge running these systems if that is indeed what their fate ends up being this year again? And I look at that Kentucky game like if Bryce Hopkins goes off and if it's one of your former own, like, oh, that would right. twist the knife that much more. 
and I'm willing to give Barnes a pass on this, like, like on this year specifically because of the Ziegler injury, you know, they say like everybody's, they say like everybody's dealing with injuries in March. And that is true to a certain extent. Um, But like, this would be like if Kentucky was out, was without Oscar Shibwe, this would be like, if, if the, if the, Oh yeah. I I am so high on, on Zakai Ziegler. Like I said, the assists, the steals, the playmaking, setting up his teammates, the energy, like the defense, I just think he keys it all for for Tennessee. So it would be to me like like Kentucky losing Oscar Shibwe. It would be like 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 Milwaukee Bucks. They'd be like, okay, well you're the one seed in the East, uh, so you ex- you're expected to play like that even without Giannis. And it's like, wait, hold on. Like I, <laughs> I think I think a really interesting comp for for Ziegler is like a Drew Holiday type. Mm. Uh, speaking of the Bucks, um, so you know, uh, his shooting has a lot to go, but Drew's wasn't always like that in college. So I, I just think that the the loss of Ziegler is such a a big loss for Tennessee that I'm willing to give Rick Barnes a pass on this specific season, uh, as long as he wins that first round game. You sure. lose that to Louisiana, and we'll talk. Nice. But uh, if they lose to Duke in round two or oral Roberts in round two. I'll, I'll write that one off as missing Ziegler too much. I know you got to run. So we'll end on this one here. Uh, Michael dark says Duke gets to the championship game, but John Shire gets severe food poisoning is unable to coach <laughs> coach K fills in, gets blown out and yells at the opposing players about how they displayed poor sportsmanship. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. One. That was great. That's the best one. Uh, I just, I just would hope that uh, John Shire could, uh, you know, uh, pull a Michael Jordan and uh, play through it, get his own uh, the flu game, and uh, and and just coach coach. Uh, I I don't think it's crazy to say that Duke would make the title game. Uh, obviously, the other stuff would be uh, would be a lot of fun. I would I would really like to see Coach K just screaming at opposing players one more time for no reason. Um, so, but you know, he did yell at Dylan Brooks, and based on Dylan Brooks' uh, NBA tenure here of late, uh, maybe Coach K was onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> Coach K was actually in the right in that situation. <laughs> that one just... time, that one time, <laughs> that's it. But yeah, like if Coach K, we we need not. I don't. I don't need Coach K back in my life coaching, but I do. I would look forward to it. I'm going to be on the lookout for this because I'll be I'll be there um, in Orlando for uh, for Duke's opening round game and hopefully he's going to be sitting courtside. And if he lectures anyone, I just need to have my phone locked in on him and just see the video of coach K lecturing somebody or just shaking somebody's hand and talking in their ear. And then we'll just fill in the blanks. That's what we'll do. We'll fill in the blanks. We'll say like, Oh yeah, coach K told him that, you know, like he really hated that guy's shot selection. Oh, did you have to do the three goggles after that one? Like what a bad look for that young man. I will just, that's what we'll do with coach K. I like it. I like it. Adam, this has been great. Um, we have great coverage coming all tournament long, SaturdayDownSouth.com, Blue Chip Grit, BlueChipGrit.com. Everybody should go check that out. You want a basketball newsletter. You don't want to necessarily have to sift through a, a ton of different stuff to be able to get some coverage while you're filling out your bracket. Great, great news source. Lots of great stuff in there. Um, what else am I forgetting? What else should people be following along with? Uh, no, that's great. Uh, we've got... Uh we've got our final four picks coming in uh, Tuesday's newsletter and we uh, name a couple sleepers too. So that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, make sure you subscribe. Awesome. Awesome. Adam, appreciate it. We'll do it again soon, man.
Yeah, thanks, Connor. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at Sat Down South. Subscribe to our basketball newsletter, Blue Chip Grit. You can do that at bluechipgrit.com. Join the Facebook group and hear your name read on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.